0: Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Behind the Tour, the podcast from American Christian Tours that goes behind the scenes of some of the most iconic sites, historic characters, and true stories in American history to discover how God has been at work since the very beginning. Well, this is Aaron Kronk, your host on Behind the Tour, and our desire and purpose is to provide insight for today and hope for the future as we look at history from a biblical worldview to uncover the hidden lessons of our past. Well, on today's podcast, I am super excited. We're focusing on a very unique location that we provide group tour programs to, uh, St. Augustine, Florida, America's oldest city is what it claims to be. Well, to do that, I'm joined by two of our favorite Floridians, ex-education program leaders, Lisa Strong and Julie Groton. Ladies, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, hey Aaron. It's great to be here. Well, hey, you guys, tell you what, uh, Lisa, why don't you give a, just a, a real brief blurb for our listeners to kind of remind them of who you are. And then, Julie, why don't you do the same thing?
1: Sure. I am a, a veteran teacher. My daughters hate it when I say veteran. They say it makes me sound old. Uh, I'll take experienced or like you and work with animals. That's yeah, I work with animals. So, you know, I, I have taken the skill set that God gave me during my time in Christian education and doing some, uh, some really unique uh, educational methods and curriculum that focused on America's Christian founding. I fell in love with American Christian tours, taking my group about the second trip in. I said, that's what I want to do. Over the course of a couple of years, Jay and I worked together and, Finally was able to bring me on board. Here I am living, living my best life, living the dream God put in my heart.
0: Well, and Lisa, you are an amazing program leader, tour guide. Uh, So I'm super excited that you and uh, Julie are going to give us uh, kind of a little walkthrough tour of St. Augustine. Well, Julie, how about you? Uh, Give us a little info.
2: Well, I I too am a veteran classroom teacher, 21 years in the same school. Fell in love with Axe with my first tour with my eighth graders in 1998. Continued to do nine trips with you, and it was my dream as Lisa's to come on board and be on the other side of the motor coach, um, leading groups on the East coast. So, uh, for the past eight years, I've been blessed to do this job and I too am living my best
0: life. It's awesome, Julie. And Julie, I tell you, every time I see you on the road or I see you in person, you just bring a smile to my face. I just have to tell <laughs> you, you that, um, you, this your your personality and your passion and your excitement uh, for being on tour and talking with kids and just people uh, is contagious. So, ladies, welcome back. Thank you. Well, hey, we are going to talk about uh, Saint Augustine and what is the importance of it in American history. But we're also going to touch on the state of Florida. So we need to maybe start with. Florida, what does Florida mean? And then we're going to talk just a little bit about the exploration settlement and the fact that Florida uh, as a territory actually changed hands a couple of times.
1: Yes, Yes, it did.
0: So Florida uh, was named by explorer Ponce de Leon in 1513. And the name Florida comes from the Spanish word florido, which means full of flowers or flowery. Uh, did you guys know that? I did recall
2: that, yes.
0: So you live in a very flowery state. I, I would love to live in a flowery state. Well, the oldest permanently inhabited settlement established in 1565 by Europeans in the contiguous United States is the uh, St. Augustine settlement. Let's start with Ponce de Leon. So while exploring the Bahamas, In 1513, Ponce de Leon landed somewhere near Cape Canaveral, uh, named the landmass Florida or La Florida, and claimed it for Spain. This was only 21 years after Columbus set foot in the Bahamas and initiated Spanish colonization of the Americas. There would be other expeditions for Spain um, with this new land. Ladies, in in 1564, the French Huguenots or Protestants uh, established a small colony along the St. John's River near present-day Jacksonville. In the following year, uh, in 1565, a Spanish explorer named Pedro Martinez de Aviles expelled the French and founded the town of St. Augustine.
2: St. Augustine, how did she get her name? Named after St. Augustine, it was on St. Augustine's feast day on August 28, 1565, that the Spanish explorer Pedro Menendez first sighted land in Florida
0: And uh, then Florida officially became a Spanish colony. So what do you guys have to think? What do you have to say just a little bit about uh, the French Huguenots and that whole interaction?
1: Jean Ribault actually was one of the leaders of that group that settled at Fort Caroline, named after um, King Charles. The Huguenots were a Protestant group, and we have this struggle in Europe at this time, not only for uh, for settlement and for land power, but also for which religion was going to lead all of Europe. And so the Spanish were definitely not thrilled that Revolt, uh, actually in, in 1562, had located the area. And then in 1564... Uh, Rene Laudanere was leading that settlement at the time that, that Pedro Menendez de Aviles showed up his troops in what is today St. Augustine at the mouth of the St. John. I, I think something that is uh, really an interesting uh, thing to add when we talk about that uh, kind of rivalry between um, France and Spain, not only with trade, uh, but with that religious idea is that when uh, when Menendez arrived, Um, A day later, Rebolt came with his ships. A storm came up, scattered the ships, but Menendez started on foot and met with them, burned the fort, and then took 350 Huguenots. Ten at a time, they crossed them across the channel over to what is now Fort Matanzas, which means massacre. Uh, 350 of them murdered. Uh, Some escaped that murder because they said that they would convert to Catholicism. By and large, they were, they were massacred. And it's, you know, one of those moments in history that we look at brothers and sisters in Christ, mm-hmm. it makes you, you know, question what's, what was going on in the leadership of those, of the religion at that time. If we're killing one
0: another. right? Well, the the Spanish established missions throughout the colony. Their primary goal were to uh, convert Native Americans to Catholicism. Florida changed hands a couple times as a territory. Life continued in Florida, kind of sparsely populated, up until about 1763 when Spain gave the colony to Great Britain in exchange for Havana, which the British had recently captured. And I didn't know that until I started reading a little bit more. So in, in 1784, Britain returned Florida to Spain, but uh, then, however, a, a new and expanding nation formed to the north in the United States, right?
1: That's that's correct. You have from 1821 to 1888, Florida being a territory going through its early statehood underneath the leadership of Governor Andrew Jackson. Huge time of pioneering beginning.
0: That's right. In 1818, Andrew Jackson led Army soldiers into Florida in the First Seminole War. In 1821, Florida became a U.S. territory um, and really ending almost 300 years of Spanish rule. Spain's flag would fly twice above St. Augustine until the U.S. acquisition of Florida in 1821. Between the two Spanish eras, uh, the city was the capital of the british colony east florida and that was a colony that was really loyal uh to king george during the american revolution uh,
1: absolutely we're heading up into that time just post and during the american revolution it, they wanted to create uh, a land buffer uh in the 13 colonies georgia was kind of created as a land buffer to keep uh to keep the spanish from being able to uh, inhabit and move up into those 13 colonies.
0: Well, in this next segment, we're going to take our listeners on a tour of St. Augustine to various locations within the city. And this is going to be fun. So, Lisa, why don't we start with you? Um, we've, got, we've got 10 different locations in the city that are absolutely, absolutely incredible places to visit. And we're going to start with St. Augustine Lighthouse and Museum. So, Lisa, tell us a little bit about that place.
1: Sure. Well, the, the lighthouse is, uh, you know, obviously uh, the most visible structure that is there. Uh, it is not the original lighthouse. Uh, originally was just uh, kind of an a, a observation tower. Uh, there were several structures made out of wood that, of course, there next to the water and with all the moisture uh, would eventually rot. Um, they built one out of coquina. And we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, unique material a little bit later. But even the coquina couldn't stand up to the beating of the waves there at the shoreline. So the one that you stands today that you can go and climb and there's uh, multiple uh, museum experiences you can do there it is the oldest surviving brick and mortar structure in St Augustine today
0: well how about the the next one on the list here is called the oldest house and i you know lisa i have to admit uh, i've been there as a tourist but i've never given a tour so again these sound these sound awesome but what is the oldest house the Menend- on menendez avenue
1: yeah the oldest house Uh, You come across that Bridge of Lions, and the main road that runs there along the waterfront is Menendez Avenue, and the house there is the Gonzalez Alvarez House. Uh, The family is known to have lived there as far back as 1597. The house itself was built in 1723, and the unique thing about it is not only that it survived the many sieges and conflagrations burning down of the city, (laughs) uh, it survived those but it also shows the two styles of architecture of the two different groups that occupied the area, both British and Spanish architectural details. It is also made out of coquina, uh, but also made out of tabby. And uh, tabby is a man-made material. Coquina is uh, naturally found and mined out of the, out of the ocean. Um, And like many other places, um, most places that you go in St. Augustine, it is a national historical landmark.
0: Well, the next one on the list, number three, is the Plaza de Constitution on King Street.
1: Well, the plaza is the center of the city. Uh, it's called the Plaza de Constitution is because that is where they would have read the Constitution for that settlement. It is the oldest outdoor public space established in 1573. Uh, It was a public market. Uh, There's a beautiful church, a cathedral, the Basilica of St. Augustine that's right there and is still used today. There were official ceremonies that took place there. As we entered into the time of the uh, American Revolution, it was uh, a place where they would have uh, rallied troops during the Civil War. Uh, it would have been another place where there were rallies and the civil rights movement um, had important events that took place there. Uh, Martin Luther King was there um, as a part of a peaceful protest and he was arrested, but uh, a very important location, a very important part of St. Augustine history.
0: And that was Plaza de Constitution on King street. Well, the next one, number four, Flagler College, which was the uh, former Ponce de Leon Hotel. So, Julie, why don't you tell us a little bit about Flagler College?
2: Just a little background. During the 1880s, larger numbers of winter visitors began coming to St. Augustine. They traveled there by steamship and the new railroad, making it easier to escape that very cold weather of the north. Uh, In 1884, one winter guest was Henry Morrison Flagler. We talked about him a few minutes ago, a business partner with Standard Oil. Henry Flagler was so impressed by St. Augustine that he began to develop ideas for changing this oldest city into a resort town for the rich. So the Hotel Ponce de Leon is now Flagler College. When it opened in 1888, it quickly filled with guests eager to stay in that fancy hotel. Soon after, Mr. Flagler built the Alcazar Hotel across the street from the Ponce de Leon. The hotel offered many things, including a large indoor swimming pool, a bowling alley, a gym, a dance floor, and shops. And today, it is St. Augustine City Hall and Leitner Museum. Uh, Mr. Flagler was way ahead of the curve in developing a luxury-style accommodations for his wealthy friends.
0: Yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty amazing guy. And um, he's a character that we're going to talk about a little bit more.
2: Actually,
1: uh, you know, his, his business acumen is uh, the stuff of legends, the the things that he was able to accomplish, he would, uh, he would set his mind to something. And um, he, he reached the point that he had the money behind the name to be able to accomplish what he wanted to do. Well, as he was um, establishing the hotel Ponce de Leon and it filled and he built the, um, the hotel across the street Uh, he built, it it was called hotel Alcazar today. It's the Leitner museum.
0: Well, in the, the, you know, the, the Ponce de Leon hotel, I've looked at some pictures online and it's just an absolutely phenomenal structure too. Yeah. so uh, just beautiful architecture. Uh, I love architecture, good architecture anyway. So since we're on uh, kind of the, the topic of Henry Flagler, let's move on to the Flagler Memorial Church on Seville Street.
1: Absolutely. Um, one little stop, little byway I'd like to make there. There's an area called Lincolnville. And it goes along with that idea of the civil rights movement having a very important place in St. Augustine. Uh, It it was an area where many activists would come to stay and to promote civil rights. The Martin Luther King Street there is the only uh, Martin Luther King Street in the nation that Martin Luther King actually stayed on when he was here, uh, when he was there to make that speech in the plaza. Uh, Before that night he was arrested, he actually stayed on a house along that street. And you can take a stroll down that street and see that house.
0: Yeah, and I think there's probably a a lot of people that aren't even aware that he was uh, even uh, in uh, St. Augustine.
1: Well, uh, Flagler Memorial Church is uh, considered one of the... religious wonders of the United States because of its architecture and its beauty. Um, In fact, when we go there, the big idea that we study is the idea of beauty, the idea of taking time to see it, the idea of being a creator of beauty and appreciating beauty. And so it's, it's a beautiful church, but the reason it's called the Memorial church is because Henry Flagler had that church built. He wanted a church close by for his uh, his holiday holiday guests that were staying in the hotels. Sadly, he had a lot of tragedy in his life. He had actually initially come to St. Augustine because his wife was ill and the doctor recommended the the climate And, uh, so she, she gets here and actually does not improve. In fact, she gets worse and eventually dies and she's, she's buried there. But the real reason that that church was important to him is that his daughter died in childbirth and she and her infant daughter are buried there. And, um, Henry Flagler is actually buried there, uh, there today. Uh, And you can go and you can visit the church. It's beautiful. Um, it's usually, um, Usually a, a a drive-by, really beautiful picture spot for our guests mm-hmm. when we're there.
0: Yes. Awesome. Okay, so moving on to the next site uh, is the Colonial Quarter on St. George Street.
1: That's right. We, we've made a loop now. Uh, we've gone around behind the Ponce de Leon Hotel, behind Flagler College. And as we're heading down uh, a street that's called Hippolito Street, Uh, We see the back of Flagler College, and actually, at the back of that college, there's a large smokestack, and there's a workroom there, and a very interesting individual used to uh, come to St. Augustine, and he came from Fort Myers, and that would be Thomas Edison. He and Ford and Flagler were uh, kind of, you know, they were buddies, and so he would come to the hotel, and actually... the the residents knew when Thomas Edison was in town because that building with the smokestack is where he would conduct experiments. He was working on electricity. And when he was experimenting, all the lights in town would flicker. And so you knew when Thomas Edison was there because the lights in town were flickering. Well, we go on down this Hippolito Street and we went into a street called St. George. And it's it's a pedestrian street there, you can see there's no sidewalk. The houses are built right on the street and that was purposeful. The Spanish did that so that in those times of siege or attack, large numbers of troops couldn't get down the city and they would have time to go all the way down to the end of St. George Street and hopefully escape into the fort. So we head down St. George Street and we hit that area called the Colonial Quarter. Um, When you go into the colonial quarter, you get to see demonstrations of a blacksmith. You will see a a gun firing demonstration. You will see um, a parade of flags, not a literal parade, but all the flags from all the times and different transitions of power within St. Augustine, you will see all of those flags there. And so it's a really great place kind of immerse yourself into the world of, of
2: colonial St. Augustine. So the colonial quarter, as Lisa was describing, it is very interactive. The students love it. They love to see things uh, being created by hand and all the interpreters are in appropriate colonial dress as well when they uh, go through the colonial quarter. Lots of fun.
0: Okay, so not too far from the colonial quarter on Saint George Street, we have the oldest wooden schoolhouse.
1: That's correct. Uh, the oldest schoolhouse is uh, a great stop. It's not a long stop, but uh, you go into this small little house built out of cypress wood and oak because that's would have been a, would would have been available to them. Um, you know, as we've said before, the city was uh, burnt down several times, so it's. It's not the original, but it is a a very good representation of what would have been there. Uh, There's actually a little tiny door where uh, if you were naughty, (laughs) you were put underneath the steps in this little door. Uh, That was kind of your little timeout zone. The kids get a kick out of that. Uh, And then you go into the courtyard and you play some colonial games. You can ring the school bell. Uh, it's, It's a great stop. It's a fun little stop there.
0: All right, ladies, so let's move on to the next one, Castillo de San Marcos.
1: Well, Castillo de San Marcos uh, has been known by several names. The two most prominent are the Castillo de San Marcos, meaning uh, the castle of uh, St. Mark. And then there was also Fort Marion, which was when it was under British rule, it was called Fort Marion. Well, it is a, a very unique structure. And now I get to tell you about that Coquina Rock.
0: I've been looking forward to this, by the way. Yeah,
1: I've been building the anticipation on this. The fort was originally uh, made several times out of wood. The original fort uh, made out of wood, not only was it rotten, but it was not a good fortification. All they had to do was light a match to it and it was burnt down. It was not much of a safe haven. Uh, And in fact, one of the reasons it was called the Castillo is because uh, in those days, a castle didn't just refer to perhaps the seat of the monarchy, but a castle was also considered a place of refuge. And if you've seen, you know, pictures from, you know, old Renaissance and medieval pictures where they pull up the drawbridge and everybody's inside the gate, well, that's the way this fort was set up. There was a moat around it, uh, and there was a drawbridge that would go up and down. And whenever the city was threatened, they would ring the alarm, and everybody would rush into the, the fort and would stay in the fort until whatever peril was headed their way had passed. Uh, and so it had to be capable of, of containing a lot of people. Well, the wooden structure just was not doing it. And finally, I hate to say it, gentlemen, but it took a queen, it took a lady, <laughs> <laughs> it took a lady, the Regent Maria, to uh, to say, would you just build this thing out of stone? There weren't a whole lot of stones So what they did is they went into the water and there's actually a reef of coquina rock that stretches from St. Augustine all the way down to West Palm Beach uh, along the coast of Florida. And coquina is uh, layers and layers and layers of shell. It's a sedimentary rock. And so they would mine the rock out of the water, dry it out, cut it into blocks and then put it into place. And that's what the fort is built out of. Um, And the reason that this material was so significant is, number one, it was uh, very strong, but uh, when cannons fired their cannonballs into this fort, because of the porous nature of the stone, because it was all those stones, uh, all those little shells glued together with little holes in it in between them, kind of like styrofoam, the cannonballs would either hit the wall and create an indentation and, and fall off, or they would actually stick into the walls. And so the fort that stands today is that original fort, uh, the original Coquina fort that was built. And it is the oldest masonry fort in the United States and the only uh, structure built entirely out of Coquina in the entire world.
0: That is so cool. In fact, you know what, uh, that just makes me want to visit all the more. That is uh, that is awesome. Well, you guys, next we want to keep moving along our tour here. So the next thing on our list is Fountain of Youth. So all you older listeners better uh, listen up here.
1: Well, I would love to say that I'm looking a little younger every time I go, but... Uh, unfortunately,
0: that splash some of the water story, on your face. <laughs> yeah,
1: that whole story of Ponce de Leon searching for the Fountain of Youth yeah. is actually stuff made of legends. Yep. Uh, he actually wasn't seeking it. Uh, he found the fountain. He did attribute uh, some mystical qualities to it. Uh, and that fountain is still there today. In fact, you can go in and they give you a little cup and you can have a drink from it. Uh, and and so you can drink out of his fountain. Well, that area where that fountain is located was originally uh, Temuka. Uh, they were the Native Americans, the indigenous people that were in this area of St. Augustine. Well, they had a little village called Siloy, and when that uh, fountain was discovered, uh, there were, you know, decent relationships with the Native Americans. Of course, that, uh, you know, later... Uh, declined, Uh, but initially they were there, and they were friendly people. Um, And when you go to the uh, Fountain of Youth, uh, it's it's like a living museum, and there are interpreters there uh, giving you uh, insight into the Native American lifestyle and culture, Um, and then you have some more great hands-on demonstrations. You have blacksmiths, you have musket and cannon demonstrations, and when we are there, We always reenact the siege of the city by Sir Francis Drake, that English salty dog who came over and attacked the city and burnt it down. And so the kids have a great time on the field there reenacting the siege of the city.
0: Well, there's some pretty active stuff for the kids to do and to take part in. All right, well, the next place that we're going to visit here is the mission of Nombre de Dios.
1: Yes, mission of the name of God. Uh, The missions were a very important part. There was a desire to evangelize the Native Americans. We know from history, uh, it's a great lesson for us to learn looking back, that there are ways to encourage people to follow Christ, and there are ways to send them in the other direction. And so you have kind of a mixed bag of Uh, some who came and really had a heart and a desire to bring people to a knowledge of Christ and others who kind of wanted to use that power to manipulate people in order to be able to benefit themselves. Um, And when that mission was founded, the leader of it, his name was Father Lopez, before he would dedicate the site and the land to the king, he first took a cross and he dedicated the land to God. And so, you know, there are some uh, there are some really bright moments for Christianity uh, there in St.
0: Augustine. It's awesome, Lisa. Well, let's let's uh, move on to the old jail. Julie, why don't you tell us about the old jail, the oldest? Now, is that very far from the mission of the Nombre de Dios?
2: Uh, it's up the road, just a spit, not too far. I love talking about the old jail. Uh, one, another one of Henry Flagler's... Uh, brilliant ideas. And the story goes, and it was state-of-the-art story goes like this, that in 1891, uh, Old Jail is one of the most unusual historic sites in America. It's a four-story building that was a gift of Henry Flagler to St. Augustine uh, in the late 1800s. So Flagler always had a motive, and uh, he was not too happy with the original jail, a worn-out building that was too close to his very fancy Ponce de Leon hotel in town. So he gave the city money to tear down the old building and build a new jail to the north of the city. The new jail was so well built that early tourists confused it for a hotel. They would sometimes knock on the front door and ask if there were rooms to rent. Uh, Flagler's larger jail was built just in time. His railroads and his hotels were bringing so many newcomers into town, including... Some um, undesirable folks that didn't want to always follow the law. The jail cells inside of the old jail were made of solid steel. The jail even had a dumbwaiter, an elevator that brought food to the prisoners on the upper floors from the kitchen. The number of folks that could be locked up there, over 72 prisoners could be locked up at one time in the old jail. Most of the prisoners were part of a county workforce called chain gangs. That uh, we see, don't see that too often anymore. Uh, back then, renting prisoners for day labor was big business for the county government. Almost all the food eaten by the prisoners was grown in the yard. Women prisoners, yes, women did break the law. If there were any, worked in the kitchen or collected vegetables from the fields. Others tended the pigs at the stockade. It's always great fun to take the students there. They have interpretive guides dressed in um, black and white jail garb screaming at the kids giving them directions and uh, sharing what it would be like to be in jail in the 1800s in uh, Henry Flagler's really quite modern jail for its day.
0: That is is super cool, Julie. And I can't help but think that um, Henry Flagler had a relationship, obviously, with John D. Rockefeller. He was the co-founder with John D. Rockefeller for Standard Oil. And um, we know that John D. Rockefeller was one of the major contributors to uh, restore Williamsburg, Virginia. I can't help but kind of make that correlation that both kind of had the same heart uh, and that passion uh, for the restoration and the preservation of American heritage. Yeah, Julie, let's move on to the next one. uh, And last one, the Florida Heritage Museum.
2: So uh, this is usually a place we visit on as our last stop of our time in St. Augustine. This is a site that has become a fast a favorite for our students and our teachers alike. Uh, it's, it's an interpretive center. It's very interactive, hands-on activities. The kids absolutely love it. And the focus is on two different cultures, Native Americans and their lifestyle, the Tacuma Indian uh, tribe, and also the Spanish influence as well. Um, as part of the Native American experience, we, uh, we uh, hook a teacher and uh, talk them into being dressed up as a chief or a chief a dress, am I saying that right? Uh, with all of the garb and the face paint. And then on the Spanish side, very cool, there is a replica, a life-size replica of a Spanish galleon. And of course, along um, our East Coast here in Florida, the number of Spanish ships that went down are so significant, we get our nickname, the Treasure Coast, because of all of the treasure that's off the coast of uh, Florida here. Um, just a tremendous sight, lots of fun, and uh, a great place to wind up our time in uh, St. Augustine.
0: Well, Julie, thank you so much. So we kind of, this was a kind of a quick journey, but from the St. Augustine Lighthouse and Museum uh, to the Flagler College uh, through the Colonial Quarter, uh, Old Jail, and ultimately down to the Florida Heritage Museum. Uh, and there's, there's, I'm sure there's other things to see, but we've touched on kind of the major ones, right, ladies?
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You can see a lot in just two days.
0: Well, and this is a great incentive for our listeners to uh, to go on a, go on a tour with us. Book book something for their kids or even a church group that would come down to St. Augustine. So, Julie, Lisa, thank you so much for being our tour guides today as we uh, kind of hustled through uh, St. Augustine. So now it's time for our segment called "Behind the Person," and the person today you might have guessed is. Henry Morrison Flagler. Now, if you stroll through the area of St. Augustine, immediately west of downtown, you're going to experience the extraordinary influence of this New Yorker, <laughs> an amazing guy. He's best known for his development of Florida's East Coast and was responsible for building the Florida East Coast Railway from Daytona to Key West and has made incredible contributions to Florida's economy uh, during his day through tourism and, and agriculture. Well, Flagler was an interesting fellow. He joined John D. Rockefeller to found Standard Oil in 1870, and in two years, Standard Oil was leading the U.S. oil industry. Well, Flagler and his wife and children, like Lisa had alluded to earlier in the podcast, lived in New York, but his wife's health wasn't good. The doctor suggested they try Florida. So the Flagler family, that's a tongue twister, tried wintering in Jacksonville, then the only accessible city in the state. Upon Henry's second trip to Florida, he visited St. Augustine. He fell in love. He was charmed by the city and the weather but frustrated by the lack of hotels and transportation so in our previous tour, we touched on a couple of the hotels and this, an amazing vision that Henry Flagler had. He realized, or at least recognized, Florida's potential to attract out-of-state visitors from all over the place and decided to pour in his oil fortune, the money that he made, into the state's development. Well, over the next 30 years, he built Resort hotels uh, from Jacksonville to Miami to the Florida Keys linked by his Florida East Coast Railway. Steamships full of visitors uh, came to his resorts at Nassau in the Bahamas and Havana, Cuba. And his overseas railway through the Florida Keys was recognized at one point by as the eighth wonder of the modern world. Well, ultimately, Flagler was regarded as the father of modern Florida for his investments in the Sunshine State. And that is behind the person who was Henry Morrison Flagler. Well, this next segment is called Carved in Stone. And today, we're going to go to the Bridge of Lions in St. Augustine. And Lisa, why don't you Tell us about the Bridge of Lions.
1: The Bridge of Lions uh, it actually was built in uh, 1927. It was originally constructed of white marble, and on the west side of the bridge there were two large lions, uh, and they actually had names. They named them. They were Fiel and Firm, meaning faithful and firm. So those were the two original marble lions. It's a drawbridge because it is a port city, um, and then in 2015. Actually, they upgraded the bridge. And on the west side, they added two granite statues called Pax and Pele, meaning peace and happiness. And so this bridge is kind of the gateway to St. Augustine. It connects Anastasia Island to the mainland of St. Augustine and crosses the intercoastal waterway. And so it actually, the, the lion's. Uh, have a historical flair to them. They're actually modeled after a uh, Medici family in Italy would have commissioned the the creation of these statues and so these are modeled after two that the Medici family enjoyed
0: themselves. Seriously, this makes me want to come down there and uh come on down. Cruise around. Wow. It's time for Croc's Corner. I just want to give you a word of encouragement um, in relationship to Ponce de Leon and the Fountain of Youth. It's said that you can take a drink of water from that legendary spring. It's said that you can enjoy eternal youth. Well, I can't imagine living forever. It's hard to grasp, hard to get your arms around, but God has created us as eternal beings. I think Ponce de Leon was, I don't think he was actually in search of that fountain. And that's kind of a myth. I think that it's actually a Taino Indian legend about a spring that was said to exist that would restore youth Those who bathe in their waters. Well, that really makes me think in terms of God's word about Jesus's encounter with the woman at the well. Uh, The woman comes up to Jesus, and Jesus actually takes time to talk to her. She's a Samaritan; he's a Jew. That's not supposed to happen. But in this, in this, this time that Jesus talks to this woman, she's thirsty. She's coming to the well. She wants water. As Jesus talks with her, Jesus says. Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And the woman's response was, sir, please <laughs> give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here and get and get this water. Well, Jesus gives us a promise, you guys. Uh, we don't need to look for... Uh, a a well in this earth or any earthly thing that's going to quench our thirst. Um, What really is going to quench our thirst, Jesus gives and has given by his very life, that he died, uh, that he was resurrected, and that he lives today. And he will give us, he's that fresh bubbling spring within us, giving us that eternal life and that invitation to come to him and be satisfied. Well, finally, it's time for the call to action. Lisa, uh, Julie, why don't you guys help me out with this? Now, the call to action today is comes from Luke chapter twenty-four, thirty-eight, and it's in relationship to what we've uh, the, the tour that you guys so graciously gave to us uh, through St. Augustine, and uh, in just in relationship to kind of in uh, that spirit of exploration. And the fear that really goes along with doing something and going places that we don't we don't know where we're going sometimes, and we don't know what's in store for us. And there's very real fears uh, that accompany um, uh, the things that um, the places that we go to, and maybe the places that God calls us to. So in Luke chapter twenty-four, verse thirty-eight, it says Jesus says this, addressing his disciples: "Why are you frightened?" He asked. "Why are your hearts filled?" With doubt, and in isaiah forty one ten, God says, "Fear not, for I am with you. Don't be dismayed. I am your God. I'll strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. So Julie, Lisa, you guys, what do you what would be uh, your kind of your your thoughts on a call to action that really no one should be afraid uh, to take on any enterprise in the name of our Savior? And if it's right, uh, if the purpose is is right, uh, that we're that we don't have anything to be afraid of, do we? No,
2: I don't believe we do. And um, we might have a little trepidation about stepping out out of our comfort zones. Um, but think of Christopher Columbus. He wasn't really sure where he was going. Um, things were pretty unknown to him. He did realize, yes, the world was round, but. He was missing a whole huge continent and another ocean when he took this voyage. And yet he made four trips back to uh, what became known as the West Indies. Um, So, pretty tremendous undertaking for a time when we think about the lack of technology and understanding so much about um, the Earth's surface. Well, at one point during that voyage,
1: Columbus just, just the 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 night before uh or the day before he actually sighted uh evidence of land, uh the the three ships had come together and they actually there was a mutiny being threatened. The men all wanted to turn back. And so here's Columbus. Uh, you know, his name actually means Christ bearer. And part of his purpose in this journey, um, you know, scripture says um uh, all things come together for the good of those who were called by his name and according to his purpose, and Columbus actually wanted to uh, to find, you know, the, 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 the route to the east by going to uh, to the west because he wanted to help supply the uh, the fight to take back the holy land from the Moors. Here he is back to the wall. His men are all about to turn on him, and he says, just one more day. Just give me one more day, and he prays, and the next morning, he has that first sighting. Uh, he does not give up. He does not turn back. He stays the course to what God has called
0: him to. It's really good, Lisa and Julie. Yeah, Thanks. That is awesome. Well, in our, in our call to action today is, you know, centers around that fear not. You know, uh, there's George MacDonald, one of my favorite writers and a minister, says this. He says, doubts are the messengers of the living one to the honest of God, to the honest. They are the first knock at our door of things that are not yet, but must be understood. Doubts must precede every deeper assurance for uncertainties are what we first see when we look into a region unknown, unexplored and unannexed. And boy, I tell you guys, uh, there's, there's days ahead that I don't know what's going to happen. Um, but I kind of have that, that ex- the, uh, the exploration spirit, uh, I want to move forward, but sometimes we have a lot of fears and doubts. Um, but doubts can precede every deeper assurance of what's coming ahead. Right. Well, Julie, uh, Lisa, you guys, thank you so much for joining me today on this podcast and Uh, covering some wonderful locations in St. Augustine, an amazing city, in an amazing state. So you guys, thank you so much uh, for joining me. And Lisa, uh, why don't you uh, tell our listeners, uh, just give a little plug for a tour to St. Augustine?
1: Well, it has been a pleasure to be here with you today. The only thing I like more Uh, then talking about history with people who love history is being boots on the ground and showing people history. So uh, go to our website, find that St. Augustine tour. Julie and I would love to see you and beautiful St. Augustine. By the way, for those of you who live in the north, you can come to St. Augustine all year round.
2: So sign up, come and see us and let us take you to the ancient city. All right. And thank you, uh, gentlemen, for having uh, us on today. It's always a pleasure. Like Lisa said, uh, I love nothing more than talking history from a biblical worldview and sharing that with uh, other folks who have a heart and a love for the history of our nation. Uh, I want to remind everyone, do not forget to subscribe so you can be notified when the next episode drops and share this podcast with your friends. Also, if you have any questions for us, you can email us at tour at axe-tours.com.
0: Well, and thanks again, Lisa and Julie, for joining me today. And thanks for joining us today. We love our listeners. And as always, remember that your story is a part of his story. And God put you here and now for such a time as this. We'll see you next time.
2: Bye-bye. Bye.